As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Racer Swag. Are you passionate about sportsman drag racing? Put your passion on display with custom race-related apparel from racerswag.com. In addition, today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. You're probably familiar with thisisbracketracing.com, but if you're ready to take your on-track game to the next level, you need to check out the This Is Bracket Racing Elite membership community. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki, and the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. This is my moment. I'll be all about that Wally. I'll be all about that Wally. I'll be all about that Wally. Then I came for the gold. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Luke, what's up? Man, same stuff, different day. How about you, Big Jed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, just uh, busy at work. Uh, got Been in training a lot lately. Got a lot going on. And I'm uh, trying to get some race cars ready, bud. Um, coming down off of the big defeat from the national championship. And I think about all the the razzin has ended. So um, life's it's, good right now, bud. The razzin has ended. Has the hangover ended? <laughs> yeah, it's the, over, too. The, the mental hangover, obviously, yeah. in your case. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That they don't last long. So, all right. Everything's great. Glad What's to hear you? that. Not a whole lot. There's not much. Uh, it's, it's, I, I guess it's a slow time of year for all of us to some extent, but um, not a whole lot real exciting going on here. I've been reading a lot in the off season. Been busy, like everybody, I'm sure, but uh, just more business related stuff. Not not too much that's super exciting podcast material, I would say. But uh, <laughs> I, I did just 
I, I read a lot. I try to read a lot, period, but particularly in the off-season when I've got a little bit more time. I just finished up an autobiography from Pete Sampras, and I really enjoy typically like biographies and specifically autobiographies of successful people. Like I yep. just find motivation and things like that. And from afar, I always thought Pete Sampras's story was kind of cool because I guess he was, after reading the book, now he was kind of aging out of his prime in tennis, but he seemingly just, like he won the U.S. Open and walked away. You know, I mean, you talk about retiring at the top of your game, but to be completely frank, like, um, I was really disappointed in the book. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. (laughs) I mean, if you are like a tennis aficionado and you like care about the intricacies of how to win a tennis match, it's awesome, but I'm not. And it was kind of over my head. And I kept thinking, well, we'll get through all this tennis stuff and kind of get to something more interesting and what he's thinking and what he's feeling. And I don't know if you ever saw Pete Sampras on SportsCenter, like he was a pretty reserved guy. And that comes through in the book. So (laughs) not a great read. I probably should have put it down at several points, but I kept thinking it was going to get better and then it was over. So. Yeah, I, I didn't follow Pete very closely. I'm not a big fan of tennis. So, uh, for, and I'm sure a lot of our racer listeners out there might not even know who Pete is, but a very successful uh, professional tennis player. So, you yeah. would think he had an interesting story to tell. I'm disappointed to hear it wasn't very interesting. I'm, I'm with you, and I'm not going to try to come off like I'm not a huge fan of tennis either. I'm just a fan of greatness. And I'm like, well, that guy's great, so I want to read about it. I, it was. Uh, I'm not going to say it was a waste of a of you know, however many hours of my life, but it's not one that I would recommend. On a brighter note, my yeah. Salukis are actually playing some ball, Big Jed. Really? It's not Alabama football. And you <laughs> keep in mind, it's a small-town deal. It's it's small-town USA here, but we're in the Missouri Valley Conference, and that's the same conference that Wichita State plays in. I was going to say that's a tough conference for those that don't know. Well, Wichita State's really good. I don't know if it's tough. That makes us a tough conference. But this year, Wichita State's down a little bit, and Illinois State's good. And it's them, too. There's 10 teams in our conference. So one, two have separated themselves, and then it's kind of three through 10 in whatever order. And granted, my Salukis can't compete with the Redbirds or the Shockers. Like, there's a significant gap between second and third. But I actually think they might be the third best team in the league right now. And in our area, for as bad as we've been, for as long as we've been, that is reason for significant optimism. Well, that's excellent. I mean, if you're the third best team, there's a that gives you a fighting chance in the tournament to make the, the big dance. So Yeah, except uh, them two other two teams like where we'd probably have to beat them both and I don't know about that, but uh, but no, we, me and little man actually, uh, Jess was sick last week, so me and little man hopped in the car and drove over to Evansville, which is about a two-hour drive, watched him play on the road on uh, on Saturday and cheered on a little oh. little road win, so that was fun. Wow, season ticket holder and took it on the road for a, for a road game, that's a, that's a hardcore fan. That's right, we Hello. travel with the team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's cool. Glad they're playing well. I know uh, you're you're passionate about your Saluki, so hopefully those dogs keep getting it done. That's right. As Gary would say, go dogs. All right. So, in our news and notes this week, Luke, you got something that you'll want to talk about here off the bat. A um, couple of huge events coming up. Yeah, this year. Uh, our listeners in the Midwest are probably familiar with the two races that. My wife and I put on in conjunction with the great staff at I-57 Drag Strip. We are going to release our dates, probably by the time that this uh, podcast comes out. Our 
7th annual JEG Summer Door Car Shootout will take place July 14th through the 16th, which is our traditional weekend there. Last season, we also came up with the inaugural Racing RVs Exclusive 150. We did that in May last year. We experienced some bad weather, saturated grounds. We're moving that into the summer as well. This year's Racing RVs Exclusive 150 will be August 11th through the 13th. So I just wanted to put that out there so racers could uh, mark their calendars. Within the next couple of months or so, we'll probably have detailed flyers, more uh, entry information, and things like that. There'll be pre-entry races just like they've been in the past, so no great changes in the structures to either of them, but I really want to put those dates out there again. That's the JEG Summer Door Car Shootout, July 14th through the 16th, the Racing RVs Exclusive 150, August 11th through 13th, and once again, both races will be at I-57 Drag Strip in Benton, Illinois. Yeah, a couple of cool and unique events, and um, you know this, those things are always uh, very popular with the racers, and I'm sure it will be again this year. Wish you a lot of luck there. I've been following your your practice tree challenge a little bit, Luke. That's uh, that thing once again this year. Last year was wildly successful, and this year seems to be getting a lot of traction again. Yeah, we have a lot of fun with it. We've got like 1,700 racers signed up across the country, and I don't wow. know. It feels like there's at least a thousand of them posting their results every day. It's a little bit overwhelming from my vantage point just to, to off, try to offer everybody encouragement and give them a pat on the back. But it is. It's very cool to uh, to see this many people getting involved and practicing and, and doing something to uh, to try to improve their game during the off season when there's very few portions of the country that are actually racing. So we are having a, a really good time with that. And if you're not signed up, it's free. All you got to do is find our Facebook page, which is the off-season practice tree challenge we'll add you in there and you can get started tomorrow it's uh, like i say we're having a good time with it anyway looks like it. racers of all levels are participating and uh, looks like once again it's going to be a great exercise for for people to improve their game if uh, you're not improving immediately it looks like you can definitely find some things that you can work on going forward. So looking forward to seeing how that continues to play out. Next on our list, we've had our All-State Challenge. and um, This is big news. That's some breaking news. Big news. news. This is this big is, news, yeah. This is big stuff, yeah. Tell them all about it, Luke. Well, you know, we had our All-State debates here in the center of a, of a great deal of uh, talk, controversy, uh, interest on the way down the line. Well, and a lot of people along the way have said, man, it would be cool, particularly anybody that did not live in the state of Alabama, said it would be really cool if we could actually decide this on the racetrack. It sounds like that's going to happen, Jed. <laughs> Alabama was happy with the result. We really didn't need to see it play out on the racetrack, but, I mean, but it looks like it's actually going to happen. This has been in the works for a couple of weeks. I, was, I, I know that you had been contacted about it. I had been contacted about it. We uh, didn't want to let the cat out of the bag, but as far as I know, this hasn't really been announced anywhere, so you're hearing it here first on the, uh, on the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, but the All-State Championships is going to be a part of the Great American Bracket Race this year in Memphis, and, and that is an event that immediately follows U.S. Nationals. It's the weekend following Indy at uh, Memphis International Raceway. The event is put on. The Great American Bracket Race features a $50,000 to win main event. I've been going for years, co-promoted by Galen Rollison, who we know well, and Britt Cummings, who most of our listeners are probably familiar with. And I actually spoke with Britt for quite a while this afternoon as he kind of laid out exactly what they're doing. And... Uh, it got me fired up, Jed. I know he's talked to you about it. Yeah. Britt has appointed really basically idea. team captains. And 
we're fortunate enough that we are each team captains. Is that correct, Jed? You're, you're the Alabama that, captain? That is, that is correct. All right. So Britt has actually contacted roughly 20 people already for different states. So you've got 20 states already locked in and appointed team captains. And basically the team captain's job is to select the team from his or her state to actually go represent, like in my case, to represent Illinois at the All-State Challenge in Memphis second weekend of September. And just, he rattled off, I should have actually written down a list, but the team captains that he mentioned was a who's who of sportsman drag racing. You had, uh, I know, Tommy Phillips, um, yourself, obviously, Edmund Richardson, Scotty Richardson, Dan Fletcher, Tom Stalba, Michael Beard, Wes May. I mean, he went on down the line. It was uh, Kevin Brannon. Uh, I mean, it was a who's who. So, Basically, like he's already got representatives for those 20 states or, or at least team captains. Now, if you want your state included, just contact Britt. The more, the merrier. Like if you can field a team of seven, come on down is basically what he's saying. They're going to do seven classes, basically the same classes that we outlined here in the all-state discussions. So you can have a, a top bulb dragster class, a top bulb door car class, a uh, super category class, which this year is going to be an 890 class, like a super comp or quick rod. He says they're going to rotate that annually. So next year it may be a 990 class, the year following 1090, whatever the case may be. So that we've got uh, stock super stock. You've got your bottom bulb class. You've got your utility class. And then the seventh class that they've added in is a female only class. So the top female representative from each state, which will be fun to, uh, to include as well. That was another suggestion that we had had uh, when we were having the all-state discussion. So, and in the way this is going to shake down, like it's not just a little put together thing for a trophy and bragging rights. Like there's some serious money up for grabs. The way that he's got yeah. this structured, each of those seven classes guaranteed $10,000 to win plus the winning team is going to get a $7,000 bonus. And that's only counting on 25 states showing up. I think that's kind of the bare minimum. The more that show up, it's I think it's 100% payback, he said. So if there's more states involved, all of those numbers just go up for everybody. And I, Jed, what, I, what got me jacked up about it more than anything was the format that they described to do this. Had he shared any of that with you, what he was thinking? Oh, yeah. Yes, he did. It was really cool. The obvious classes that would be contested eighth mile will be, like the – Top bulb dragster, the top bulb door car. I believe that the foot brake of, of portion will be contested eighth mile. And then like your 890 category and your stock super stock combo, those are going to be on the long track because they can do that at Memphis. And then the funnest part to me, the utility contest, that length of racetrack is subject to change between rounds. So the utility guys might go eighth mile, might go quarter mile the next run, might go thousand foot third round. So it's a true showcase of that ability to showcase their versatility, which is really what we're looking for within the utility class. And, and Britt, the, the complete details obviously will come out on this, but the utility guys have to be in a car that is capable of removing the delay box and or be able to find another car because at some point in the rounds, they'll be asked to run bottom bulb. In addition to, to changing lengths, like it just it looks like it's going to be a really cool deal. Plus, they're splitting it up over two days. Like this is all going to run in conjunction with that their typical Great American Bracket race, the Big Dollar race. But like I think he said, Friday all the Allstate guys are going to get two time trials and run two rounds. So that run the first two rounds. So that's more like a regular bracket competition. And then Saturday morning when we get up. Those still in third round are going to go right into third round eliminations blind, more like a, the third or fourth day of a national event. So it's going to test 
all skill sets. Like I just, I'm so fired up about it and glad that I, you know, I'm going to get to, to be a part of it. Now the task of picking an Illinois team is even more difficult. Um, yes. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> I, I think the go-to would be to, to go with the team that we had outlined in the All-State discussion, but uh, I definitely want to consider other options. And I think that's a point to be made too. Like the teams that will compete in Memphis are not necessarily the same teams that we talked about in the All-State discussion. Each of those states' team captains will pick their team. So if you want to be a part of this, um, follow up with your team captain and tell them why you need to be there. Yeah, now there will be an entry fee per team. So Britt can explain all that to you and obviously racing for that kind of money there there will definitely be an entry fee tied to it but uh, contact Britt whether you think your state's on the list or whether you want to get your state on the list uh, Britt Cummings be the guy to, to catch up with there and he can help you with the details but you know we've heard about things like these for years about people wanting to try this, uh, this concept and to see that it's actually going to happen and it's getting the the attention uh, that it's getting early with with those names that are on the list and those states it's uh it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch it play out can't wait yeah it's especially neat on our end to kind of come up with an idea like this that we thought would be fun and for it to gain so much traction to the point that it's not only going to be a race like it sounds like it's going to host the baddest dudes in the world like that, that's awesome it made my day when he was telling me about it, it got me fired up so hopefully it got you guys fired up too yeah, it did me as well. And, it, you know, there's going to be a 50 grander that weekend, but something tells me if this goes off as planned, it will definitely be the talk of the event. Uh, it don't You don't have to pay 50000 to to get some excitement. This is going to definitely get some excitement. Looking forward to it. No doubt. All right, Jed, let's take a quick word for our sponsors here. You can start things off talking a little bit about Racer Swag. Well, today's podcast is brought to you in part by our great friends at Racer Swag. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're all about sportsman drag racing. Well, Racer Swag allows you to display that passion, you know, with custom designed t-shirts, and hoodies, caps, and more. And it's all themed around drag racing. Many of the cool shirts you see at the track, like the popular Racing is Life and Christmas Tree themes are Racer Swag staples. You know, in addition to their own unique racing designs, Racer Swag is the exclusive online home for BW Promotions merchandise. Needs no introduction there. Eat, sleep, want, repeat. We love those shirts. All about that Wally and so much more. Racer Swag is also your source for this is bracket racing apparel, including the cheater shirts, which you see everywhere, as well as the TIBR caps and visors. Plus, Racer Swag houses merchandise for a handful of racers, including Luke and myself. So see all that that they have to offer today by visiting racerswag.com. Today's podcast is also brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. You heard me talk about it a little bit earlier. You know about ThisIsBracketRacing.com, but what is Elite? This Is Bracket Racing Elite is a program that we've launched for racers just like you, veteran competitors with a thirst for knowledge who desire on-track improvement as well as accountability within that pursuit. I actually launched this community nearly a year ago with a small group of racers. It was basically a test. And the results have been pretty incredible, the results and the feedback. But don't take my word for it. Like, click the link on the right side of This Is Bracket Racing uh, on the homepage and read the quotes from some of our members. Within Elite, we not only provide training, but also motivation, community, and most important, I think, accountability. All tools that will help you take your on-track game to the next level. 
To learn more, visit thisisbracketracing.com today. You want to make it in a song to do the Justin Lamb. Win a bunch of races and you do it with the fam. You do the Kevin Brandon, lay the smack across the land. Then you do the L-Ride and you come out like the world champ. So, Luke, we talked a lot about embarrassing stories last week. We've had all the uh, interaction on Facebook this week. <laughs> Let's talk about just a little bit about some more embarrassing stories. We, we had some good ones that come across the Facebook page that stood out. You know, Robbie Ballard turned in the story of, you know, the cooler falling out of the truck <laughs> that, or uh, falling, falling out of the back of the Astro. The Astro van makes it even better, I think. That's better than falling out the back of the pickup truck. As he, <laughs> yeah. he, he hit the gas on the starting line, the back doors of the van swing open, cooler on the racetrack. Yeah, that one made, that one made me laugh out loud. I will say that. I was going to say, we, we've all seen stuff fall out of the back of a truck, but rarely are you going to get the chance to see it come out of the Astro van on the racetrack. So that was, that was a good one by Robbie and uh, our, our friend Mad Max McLaughlin. He, he shared some stuff that uh, I'm sure is near and dear to your heart. Yeah, yeah, he had a story racing uh, Tommy Costales and Super Street, and those of us that grew up in the Texas area, Tommy Costales was a legend. And just to have the guts to approach this particular round the way that Tommy did says a lot about him as a racer. But basically, Max came flying by Tommy around the eighth mile and uh, and thought, cool, this is easy, and started pumping the gas. Well, Tommy let him get three or four good pumps in to where he couldn't go faster than 11 flat. And then he just pulled the override handle back and drove on by him. <laughs> Max felt about two <laughs> foot tall, so I did. I, I, I like that a lot. I could see myself being in Max's shoes on that one. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that wasn't the first or the last time Tommy pulled that one. We had a bunch of uh, like wrong distance stories, which I've seen a lot of that. Like I used to, uh, growing up, we raced at the Texas Motorplex quite a bit, and they had like an eighth mile class and a quarter mile class. And it was pretty much, you could count on it once or twice a night, somebody would give it like two or three good dog rips at the eighth and then realize that they were going to the quarter, <laughs> stand back in it, the race was over. There there was several stories of that uh, and vice versa. And of course, uh, some stories that kind of uh, mirrored your own last week, Jed, as far as uh, taking a mile or lifting way too early and, uh, and not realizing what was going on. And I actually, it jogged my memory. I know I shared some stories last week and got long-winded, so I won't go too long with this, but but actually, probably like the most embarrassed I've ever been at the racetrack, the first divisional event that I ever went to, I'm 16 years old, I'm driving Jeremy Heffler's stock eliminator car at Houston Raceway Park, first divisional of the year, and of course, I mean, I'm cock of the walk, like I'm going to go down there, I'm going to win my Wally, you know, because that's, 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 this, this stuff ain't hard at all. So I roll up for first round stock eliminator, and I'm like, I, I'm a footbreaker, you know what I mean, I, these stock eliminator guys, I'm going to show them who's boss, and uh I kick it, and I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. I'm, I'm good. I'm getting chased maybe half a second or something like that. I'm in the left lane at Houston, and I, I hit third gear, and I get me a look back, and I'm like, man, let me see the guy. I treat the heck out of him. Cool. So I ride a little bit further, and I turn around again. I'm like, he ain't even the man. This is so easy. And so I actually turn all the way around and look out the back glass because I'm like, he's got to be broke on the starting line, and he ain't there. <laughs> And I don't know what triggered in my head because I did look at the starting line and I still ain't seen him. And I'm thinking, I just, just it triggered in my head like it's only been five seconds or whatever, but man, they already pushed him off. This is easy. <laughs> so I get almost a thousand foot and I just lift off the throttle. Well, I was driving a 67 Camaro. They had a pretty good blind spot in them. That's where my opponent was hanging out. 
Oh. And when I realized that and went back to the floor, it was too late. And I didn't get there. It ain't like I give it back a couple thousand. I, I, I gave it back a tenth. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that was my introduction to to NHRA divisional competition. That's how I got things started. So that was <laughs> not too many people knew what happened. I knew. My dad knew. Jeff Heffler knew. That was all I needed. It was a bad day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've all been there. So um, those are embarrassing every time they happen. Uh, we're we're going to have a, a couple of pretty good stories uh, coming up here in just a little bit. But um, you've uh, tasked me with uh, trying to tell the 1991 Commerce Dragway Super Chevy story. Yeah, we've teased this. We have you have to share yeah. this for our listeners, and I don't so, want the condensed version, Jen. I, I want the <laughs> whole deal. So this this story is difficult to tell without you looking at me because there's things in there that you know I have a visual aid, but I'll tell it best I can. So it's 1991. I'm 20 years old, and my now wife was my girlfriend at the time. I was out of school, obviously. She was a senior in high school. And Super Chevy was coming up this weekend, but it was her senior prom. So, you know, I got my my green cummerbund and uh, my my tuxedo, and I'm I mean I'm shaking what my mama gave me at the prom, loving life. But all I can think about is Super Chevy. My family's at Super Chevy, and as soon as this prom's over, I've got to get to Atlanta, which is uh, the drag strip's probably a three and a half hour ride from here. So, uh, prom ends late, of course. But I'm I'm heading to Atlanta. The good news is, now keep in mind we don't have cell phone or none of that stuff. So, but the good news is I know it's rained for a couple of days and they hadn't got to do any racing like Thursday and Friday. You so missed anything? And you've been ain't missed nothing. Perfect boyfriend. Ain't missed nothing yet, and got the brownie points, so it's all good. So, ain't never been nowhere, by the way. I mean, <laughs> you know, I've never. I thought Laster Mountain Dragway it was the only track we've ever that was ever raced at. So, uh, now I'm going to Atlanta. So we get over there, and man, just as soon as you pull in the gate, it's like, oh my gosh! I mean, this freaking place is big as the the town I live in, and this is just a racetrack. So this is very exciting. You can imagine my excitement. You know, nobody's raced, and I'm I'm pretty jacked up that I'm going to get to see my dad uh, race at Super Chevy. You know, he's my hero. I love him to death. Uh, best father anybody could ever ask for has given me everything he's had and stuff that, that he didn't have. So I'm, I'm excited to get to watch dad race at Super Chevy. He's got a 68 Cutlass, but he qualifies because it's got a 350 small block in it. So uh-huh. pretty exciting time. Uh, the rain's dampening their spirits, no pun intended, but uh, it's it's time. It's The sun has come out Saturday morning, and um, this is, I mean, and we're all emotional right now, okay? This is very emotional. We're This is Super Chevy. I read about in the magazine once, so this, this is big time. So Dad, they, they call the bracket two, I think is what they called it at the time. But Dad, you know, he's a little impatient. So, which and he's we'll, gung-ho. Yeah, and we will hear more about his impatience when, when the story continues. But <laughs> they don't even get it said on the speaker good. I think Dad was sitting in his car in anticipation of his class being called. So they call him. He flips all nine toggle switches and hits the starter button on that cutlass, and he's the first one in line. I mean, this is ready. Wow. <laughs> My dad is fixing to go down the racetrack first. I ain't even got to sit through the bull crap of watching other people go down the track. The first guy I'm going to get to see is Bobby Joe Pennington. Which is, <laughs> so this is this is like crazy exciting. So I go down, which I didn't even know bleachers were, you could make them this long. I go down, it's quarter mile racing. 
which I've never seen in person, by the way. It's 1991. So I go probably 800, 900 foot down in the bleachers or grandstands, as you'd call them. Now, I'm looking up there, and it, I don't know if y'all have ever seen anything like this, but you drive under the tower at Atlanta Dragon, okay? <laughs> I mean, six people in the tower where I come from, was they, they're asking you to get out because there's no more room. This tower you drive under to go to enter the racetrack, it's like unbelievable. And can you believe what's going on here? So Bobby Joe Pennington rolls up there under the tower. He's the first guy out. They have dried this racetrack. And it's long. So they've, they've got this whole thing dried up. And it's ready to go racing on. It's beautiful. Most beautiful facility I've ever seen. Keep in mind, we haven't seen anybody go down the racetrack. So we're not real sure exactly how everything should play out. But we're racers. So we, we got this. So dad comes under the tower. And I'm, I'm starting. I mean, my heart's racing. You know, there's a little mist in my eye. Just a little. My dad has just driven under the tower at Atlanta Dragway. I'm as proud a son as I can be right now. So he pulls up, and if you've ever been there, for those of you that have, you know when you come under the tower, there's a line right there where you stop, and they get you dialed in and all that. Well, we ain't dialed in. We're, it's just time trial. We're going to make this very first one. So they've dried the whole track, and this thing's looking good. And that line is probably a good, Luke, um, 150 feet from the starting line, maybe? Yeah, maybe. I was going to guess 100. Yeah, it's a ways back. Well, Okay, it's a ways back. So we can't really see the starting line, that area, real good. Dad, you know, he's no spring chicken even in 91, but we're ready. And now where Dad's sitting was, unfortunately, the or fortunately now, the only place on the racetrack that didn't get dried. So there's two beautiful, perfect Mickey Thompson nine-inch slick puddles of water sitting right there where my dad's sitting and the tower calls down to the man out on the racetrack and tells him let's do this yes we got two days of rain and this super chevy time baby we're getting some cars on the racetrack let's roll so my man looks up there he's he's probably a good 60 80 feet from where dad's sitting he looks and he puts both hands in the air and kind of gives a tornado-like motion, okay? And that's a that's a circular pattern that he was making. So it says something needs to go in a circular motion. Well, Dad immediately, because he's very smart and instinctive, he immediately says, well, how about that? It's time to burn out. So he flips all nine toggle switches, drops that bad boy in low. Now, we're building our own power glides in 91. Just now getting to this, we're power glides being built at the house, okay? So... He drops this bad boy in low and commences to the absolute best burnout I have ever seen in my entire life, even to this day. It was unbelievable. And I am, okay, so I'm 900 feet. I don't know dad's not in the water box. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling people in the stands, that's my father. That is Bobby Joe Penn. I'm emotional. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. That's my dad. You know, the tower's back there behind that smoke. And when it clears, y'all going to see us. My dad out there in front of the tower, he has lost the tower at Atlanta Dragon. <laughs> it, it's completely gone. Now, this is a this a car that goes 807 in the 8. And I don't know what that is in the car. We never really got to find out, and I'll tell that in a minute. But So... He knows he's the first car on the racetrack, so maybe the track prep wasn't just quite where he wanted it, so he wanted to make sure we do us a real good burnout, get this baby to hook, because it goes eight O's. 
So when he comes out of the water box, he knows it's a long way to the starting line because he can see the Christmas tree. So he legged her pretty good. He, he's got her on the mat and wants to get on up there and get ready. And when he gets about 40 feet from the water box, he realized, uh-oh, this guy sprayed water down right here for, <laughs> for a second area to burn out. And this, this, uh, this is not what I want to do. I've done my burnout. I don't need to get this thing any hotter. Tires are ready. So he's in the right lane. Well, the water runs out of the water box off to the right mm-hmm. At, mm-hmm. at Atlanta and most tracks. So he can't go there. Can't dodge it to the right. We got to dodge it where it's dry to the left, which happens to be where the water box attendant is standing. <laughs> but we ain't doing another burnout. So dad, as my good friend Rodney Fincham would say, Beller's up. He, he's on the binders pretty good. Got those drums hot, trying to stop, but he can't. So he dodges to the middle where my guy is standing. He throws the water hose and <laughs> dives out of the way. It's, uh, this, this is, you know, from where I'm, and I'm, I'm way down there, but I'm thinking, boy, that don't, that don't look right. I mean, I, I'm not sure. There's no way that's the plan. That's what you're supposed to do here. So I ain't figured it out yet. So dad goes around him, but what I do figure out is my man comes up, when dad finally gets it back in his lane and gets ready to stage, my man comes up and gets the door, and he tried to pull it off the hinges. (laughs) He is like Bobby Joe Pennington up, which, you know, I mean, he don't take those very well, but he was taking this one pretty well. He realized I, I didn't, I shouldn't have done that. That was not a good idea. So my guy finally lets him stage. And, you know, it's two days of rain, and they dried it, and then we're ready to finally race. And he lets go of the button and hit that old cutlass, leaves the line. And about the time it shifted, it started dumping transmission fluid, and he had her full, Luke. It was, uh, <laughs> it was full, and it was good and fresh. And unfortunately... We don't have many quarter mile runs under our belt, so we're not real sure. Just it just feels like it's taking forever for him to get to the finish line, but it's because it's running out of transmission fluid. <laughs> Slipping just a little bit. <laughs> he just got her on the rug, and it is smoking <laughs> like a freight train. And he's the first car down the racetrack, and he destroyed the right lane. Right after he shifted. did a burnout under the tower. <laughs> Right after that, after he lost the tower, and they're they're wave, trying to wave him off, and he thinks they're telling him, you know, like, great job, or like, do more. <laughs> you know, and they're trying to wave him off. <laughs> He's thinking, that they, oh, they're loving this. They are loving this. <laughs> so he destroys the right lane. You know, rubber, rubber line come off the transmission, of course. It was a fresh deal. And didn't get her tight. Didn't get the hose clamp tight on it. And only reason he only oiled down about a 1,000 foot of it is because it ran out of transmission fluid completely. Uh, puts nothing left in it and he coasted off the track and they not politely said we don't care if you can get it fixed don't come back <laughs> if you got new transmissions new lines or a new car it does not matter put it back on your trailer and go home and don't come back and you ain't getting your money back <laughs> so they were not real happy with Bob Joe Penny. And it was, uh, it turned out that my, I was very excited, but my day turned into some of somewhat embarrassing as, uh, as it ended. And 
we just uh, loaded everything up and just headed on back to Birmingham. So it was <laughs> it was a rough day, but uh, Jed, great- as as entertaining as the story itself is. The storyteller makes it, <laughs> and I don't think <laughs> anyone else could do that story that kind of justice. <laughs> well, it's hard to tell, and you not really get a good visual of it, so hopefully I help the listeners understand exactly what happened. It helped it me. Mental. I think that's about the fourth time that I've that I've heard that story, Jed, and I'm crying right now. So I can imagine <laughs> our listeners, for the first time, I would hope they got a kick out of that. <laughs> I, I love my dad. I, I still loved him after that. This is a guy that's left his car at home and forgot it when they got to the racetrack. And they asked him, y'all ain't racing today. And he said, yeah, I'm racing. <laughs> Why you ask? And they said, well, you don't have no race car, will you? So it's a guy that's forgot his race car. He's run over the track all coming out of the burnout. But this one takes the cake. The, the Super Chef burnout and, and pass was the ultimate, ultimate day for us. Oh, some of your stories bring up memories, and and I've come to realize now after a week of thinking about it, like I have so many more embarrassing moments than I than I shared, and I was gonna bring up one or two of them, but I'm not following that, Jed. I would. <laughs> At some point, we can tell war stories all day. We've got. Plenty of podcasts to come. I'll leave it at that. We've got two, not one, but two great guests for you guys. Like, as if it could possibly get better than than that story. But I I think we've got two really good ones. As you know, we were going to select our favorite story from the Facebook pages. And as as we said earlier, we've got a number of them that, that, that got our attention, that got us to laughing. But there was one that we singled out. But before we get to that one, our next guest is not somebody that you would expect, probably, to, to share their most embarrassing tale. But years ago, I did a, a, a school at Atco, New Jersey with Peter Biondo. And however it came up, Peter got to telling this story, and I've never forgotten it. And so I, I reached out to him and asked, I said, hey, this is what we're doing on the podcast. I don't know if you want to make this public knowledge. Granted, it's three decades ago, um, but you know, if you're comfortable, I think it's a great story and, and would uh, would allow people to see that hey, you know, it's not just your buddy or yourself. You're like you're not the only one that makes silly mistakes and has to live with them the rest of your life on the racetrack. You know, I mean, it's just uh, it's part of it. We all do it, uh, especially even a seven time world champion. So Peter agreed. So we're going to bring Peter on, and then uh, once we get done with with Peter's story, we're going to follow that accent with. <laughs> the most conflicting accent I think you could have because our favorite story from the Facebook posts came from our buddy Jared Bargo in Kentucky. So we're going to go from Queens or New York City to uh, to down home, what's that, northeast Kentucky where Jared's yeah. at? Yeah. So, so we've got as good as, as Jed Stories was and I don't honestly think anything's going to top that big guy, but we've got two doozies to follow it up. So look forward to that. Next guest is living proof that embarrassing moments on the racetrack can happen to anybody. This guy is arguably, if not the best, he's certainly one of the best racers of our era, maybe of all time. Many time NHRA world champion, co-promoter of the very highly successful spring fling events, Peter Biondo joining us on the phone today. Peter, how's things going? Things are uh, a little bit wet and cold in New York, Jared, but um, uh, it's a pleasure to be on uh, your podcast. You and Luke do a great job, and when you guys called me up. Uh, I was pretty excited about it, so I appreciate well, what you guys are doing for sportsman racing. 
Yes, sir. Well, it's, it's cool to be involved, and it's, it's great to have you on. Yeah, a little bit of backstory here for our listeners. Pete and I actually did a school together at ATCO. What, that had to have been, Pete, like 2010 or something? It's been a while ago now. And I don't even yep. remember how it came up in conversation, but Pete got to telling this story, and I will never forget it. And have not forgotten it. And when we got to talking about most embarrassing moments, I thought, well, it's one thing for our listeners to hear me and Jed talk about some of the dumb stuff that we've done. But what about getting one of the greatest racers, like Jed said, of our area, maybe of all time, to tell a story that uh, is pretty humiliating and certainly was at the time. I mean, this goes back a long time and you remember it like it was yesterday. So without further ado, I guess, and I don't mean to frame that for you too much, Pete, but thank you for coming on and sharing this. And uh, and I'll let you uh, kind of preference and frame your story a little bit. Sounds good. It took me quite a while to get to the point where I could laugh about this story. It was a tough one to swallow, guys. And I do remember the school we did together, Luke, and, and I had a great time with you. And we were telling everybody all night at, um, during the school on what, what you should do, what you should do, what you should do. Well, I remember at some point I just said, well, let me tell you guys what you shouldn't do. And, and I went into the story. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's uh, – do I get some – because this is going to be very humiliating. Do I get any kind of uh, like a bonus prize for this or something? Because this, <laughs> this is going to be tough. Extra special pat on the back next time I see you. All right, a, a sudden hug from Garrett. I'll take it. Um, so, so here's let, let me give uh, you two guys and uh, and the listeners of the podcast a little bit of the. Uh, I'll try to paint the picture for for everybody here. So I'm going to show my age a little bit, but this is probably 1986, 1987ish. I was at Maple Grove Dragway. It was the high school challenge. Now, to most that might not sound like a big deal, but trust me when I tell you guys, it was an event that was not just an event. It was similar to bracket finals. It was a huge deal back then. And probably 400 cars, each car. And this is part of the picture I have to paint because this is how it escalated to being semi-humiliating, well, ultra-humiliating to humiliating where I couldn't even, couldn't even live with myself for a few days. Every, each car, each competitor came from a high school. They represented a high school and each competitor brought three or four of their friends with them, so the stands were absolutely packed when this episode took place, which made it, as I said, it made it that much worse. So my father and I, just my father and I were there, and I was a freshman in high school, and back then uh, you can race if you got parents' consent. I'm pretty sure it might still be like that, but if you were in, in Jersey, I couldn't race, but if I went to Pennsylvania and I got a parent signature, I, I was able to race. So I was probably 15 years old, somewhere, somewhere in there, and... My father says, all right, well, let's go up to the starting line. We, we, let's go to the, let's bring the station wagon. We had a 77 Buick station wagon that we towed the race car everywhere with. That was also the grocery getter. That was the, my father's workmobile. And I mean, that was just everything to us. It was a, it was a big 77 Buick station wagon, you know, the panel wagon. I'm sure you guys can relate with the, uh, the wood, the wood trim and all of that good stuff. Oh yeah, the Griswold so, machine. The, exactly. Exactly a Griswold machine. So, so, uh, <laughs> but this Griswold machine, had a 455 in it. So it was um, a good friend of ours, Butch DiLorenzo, tuned on the engine, and uh, it was it was, a, it was a pretty consistent car that my, my brother was already doing pretty well with uh, in Street Eliminator. So it was a sleeper. But it went, whatever, it went 16 seconds, and obviously this is a handicap race. And I go up to the, we put the, we put the, the, uh, the station wagon in the staging lanes for the first run. My father and I walk up to the starting line, and he's, we're watching the competitors 
go down the track, all 400 of them. And as we walk back to the, the car, he says, all right, so we're going to – he gives, gives me the whole spiel about how, uh, you know, this car has a lot of travel. And back then it was incandescent poles. We're going to deep stage. I agreed. Everything was cool. All right. I go up for my first run. Everything's fine. I believe, well, it was 540 back then, but it's 040 now. So I'll, I'll use the newer terms so everyone can relate. Uh, I was 040 and 050 and 060 in time runs, right right in there, right around 040, most of my time runs, I remember. Uh, uh, deep state. So we go in for first round, and my father says, well, Pete, you're doing really well. We were watching up there, and I'm sure you saw the same thing I saw. Out of 400 guys, 395 of these guys are waiting for the green light to come on before they leave and the, the key here is i want you to be probably about i don't want you to in case you stab it a little bit prematurely i, I want to give you a little room because i think you could be i think you can clear this field with 050 reaction times so he tells me and he had a great plan and and this is we always talk about there's a plan and there's an execution well the plan was great and the execution was great until we got <laughs> until i get to the punchline. let's just keep it at that so he tells me, knock the top light out. If you have time, just back up a bump, and you put both both lights will be back on, and, and you're gonna slow your reaction down about slow your reaction time around down about two hundredths of a second. You'll you'll be safe. You'll be low forties, low seventies, and and just trust me on this. You're gonna you're gonna win this deal. So all right, that sounds sounds like a plan. I'm uh, I'm all for it. So now remember how many people were in the stands here as I'm telling this. Story and and as I was going rounds and beating up on everybody, I was only person and you had to write down your, your high school on the on, so I was St. Francis Prep from from Queens, New York. I was the only one, obviously, from St. Prep and Pottstown High and and Maple Grove High, and, and they, I was just totally surrounded. Right? I was I felt like I was it was me against the world. And as I was going through, they were announcing Peter Biondo, son of Sam Biondo, brother of Sal Biondo, and as I went, I more and more people were rooting against me. You know, obviously because they're rooting for their friends, right? They're all sure. they're all locals. I mean, it's it's very common to happen. I didn't take it personal, but uh, you know, I, I could kind of sense it. Oh, I really did a good job of of, of executing the uh, the plan my father had had uh, put out for me, and I was doing pretty much pretty much turned on probably about seven seven win lights in a row. And I ran my reaction times. I, I didn't have any. Uh, any really bad ones. I wasn't close to red. I mean, the plan was just perfect. It was a done deal. and uh, It was all coming together. I mean, the semifinals, it was, yeah, exactly. It was all coming together just like it was scripted, and, and, and that's hard to do sometimes, but it was. It's one of those days. All right, so I get to the I get to the semi. Now, remember, I'm putting both lights on. I mean, I'm, I'm not putting the top light out, and I'm just backing up an inch, and uh, I'm, I'm ready to roll here, and I'm 050s, 060s. I'm cleaning everybody's clock. I'm, I have a lot of confidence at this point. Well, Semifinals come along. I pull around the wall. I'm spotting this guy. I was dialed about a 1610, low 16s. He's dialed about an 1880. And uh, I think it was a blazer, if I remember right. Um, so uh, at that point, for whatever reason, I realized I was getting really close to winning this whole deal. And the fans with the stands were starting to get packed, and with a lot of hollering going on. And then the moment was getting bigger and bigger. Let's that way. Uh, I so. I stage, do my deal, my my opponent stages, bring the R's up. We added, it was idling at about eight or nine hundred. I bring it up to about eleven hundred, was where I was. I felt comfortable, just ba- just barely leaning on the gas pedal. Let he takes off, 
here comes my tree. Last yellow comes on. Floor it. I had the car in reverse. <laughs> backwards. <laughs> no, the, the station wagon went went backwards, like maybe seven or eight feet. <laughs> Which has to catch you off guard in addition to everything else that's going on. <laughs> well, yeah, off guard's, uh, off guard's one way to put it. If, if you were in the car with me, Luke, you, you could find a few more adjectives to describe what was going on. <laughs> now, were you the first pair of the semis, or, or was there nobody behind you? No, I was the first pair of the semis. How close were you? Uh, to there was the, somebody the behind me. <laughs> you know, I was trying to get away from that moment as quick as I could. So I, I'll tell you, I don't know how close it was, but uh, it was definitely an issue. <laughs> it, was de- it definitely caught a lot of people's and a lot of officials' attention, including my father and myself, obviously, and, and everybody in a burnout box. <laughs> oh my goodness, Pete. It was bad, fellas. So, so let me just uh, tell you how the rest of the runs went down. So I, you know, I instinctively, whatever you want to call it, uh, my first reaction was I, ne- I never even, according to my father, he watched from the outside, I, I never even let off the gas. The car just spun in reverse and went about seven feet. And I just neutral drop, you know, reverse to neutral to, to drive. <laughs> You know, there's my competitor, so I'm still trying to win a damn race. <laughs> now, now, they, now, to add to it, I had, I had, I had a much better reaction time than the guy, but I was, I was in reverse. Um, I think the reaction time, I think I was like a, a maybe a 180 because I was, you know, going backwards. Yeah, you increased your own out. Yeah, it increased it by a by a couple, just a couple inches. <laughs> um, and um, the, my opponent was whatever the opponent was at that point. Uh, uh, you know, these guys gotta have fun, and, and that's what it was all about. But uh, mo- most of them didn't have much experience, and they were leaving on the green. He was he was one point something. So uh, so the the crazy part is, is, I caught the guy and beat the guy. Okay? No, no way. way. I come, I come back. <laughs> Yes, you. You got that. My father is my father's my witness. I caught the guy, beat the guy, came back down the return road, and before I even got to my time slip, they told me I was disqualified. So somebody, somebody towards the end told me you're disqualified. And at, at that point, you had to talk about humiliating. It was one of those tracks where you had to drive down a return road. You guys have been to Vegas. You know the way there's there's a return road there in front of the grandstands. Oh, so yeah. you did the, the Don Garlitz drive by up front. <laughs> well, well, there that was the only at that point that was what that was the only way that was the only way back. So I had to drive by a bunch of I'm not I'm not gonna say thousands, but there was at least one thousand on stands of high school people, and you know how brutal high school people can be. High school when they're picking on somebody, <laughs> it was the most humiliating. Uh, first of all, there was tears in my eyes going down the track because I was so humiliated already. And then the tears were rolling down. I'm not, I'll be the first to admit it. The, 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 I'm not embarrassed to say that the tears were rolling down my face by the time I got my time slip. It was, it was the most humiliating uh, moment in my drag racing career, and, I, and unfortunately, I'll never forget it. <laughs> but I, I mean, that does sound embarrassing in all, Pete, but. I mean, you you won the race. <laughs> How crazy is that? 
That's the best I mean, part. I don't well, even remember overcame, that part about the story. <laughs> you overcame starting in reverse, backing out of the beams, neutral. What'd you say? Neutral drop. Is that what you what you call yeah, it? And, and, yeah. And, and neutral drop, right? Right, neutral right up drop, there with yeah. flat <laughs> queens. In Queens, it's a neutral drop. <laughs> so you overcame all that and caught the guy and won the race, only to I be disqualified. But that that probably was even worse because that oh, yeah. the, the the roller co- the roller coaster that that I was that, you know here I am I'm 15 years old and I'm uh, you know I'm high I'm low I'm high I'm low it was a roller, emotional roller coaster that that was probably even worse it was probably been better just to go off the end of the track go take the other take maybe the the back way back to the pitch and put my head between my legs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So I have if heard this story. If Sal or Sam had come to you Monday, immediately following that, and said, "Pete, it's going to be all right. You're going to win seven world championships." What would you have said? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would have said, uh, "Let me go back in my cave for the next uh, the next little while and get over it. It still hurts too much. You can tell me anything you want to tell me." I'm telling you guys and, and, and listeners that it was absolutely the most humiliating and so much buildup leading up to it with everybody on the, on the hands and that they were in St. Francis prep and I was, I was getting booed a little bit, but it was all in fun uh, because I was the outcast there at the time. Uh, and these guys from Pottstown High, they had 60, 70 people there and it's a fanatic group. And when you look at the whole picture, it, it was a story that I wish I could say it was just a dream or you know, a nightmare, but it, it happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, that had to be quite the roller coaster for your haters as well. I mean, that, when you took off in reverse, they had to know you were beaten. And then when you <laughs> neutral drop and, and catch your opponent and beat him, they had, that had to destroy them. And then when they find out you're disqualified, they get right back on the, that high again. So uh, that, that yeah. had to be a roller coaster for everybody involved. It was quite the day. Uh, it, was a, it was a long <laughs> three hours ride home and... You know, I felt like I let my father down. He had the, the, a perfect plan, and, and uh, I didn't execute. And, you know, the, the funny part is just you guys and you listeners at home, when you get in your streetcar tomorrow morning, put it in drive and bring it up to about 1,200, and then put it in reverse and bring it up to about 1,200. How did I not know the difference? <laughs> I mean, you, could, you could feel that you could feel the car lifts up a little bit different. I mean, it, it, it I, whoa, it, you're looking back on it now, man, I, I was really in a, uh, but it wasn't a good one. <laughs> That's a heck of a story, Pete. I've never heard that one. Pete, I'd love to say that we're not laughing at you, but I guess we kind of are. But man, oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> we really appreciate you sharing the story with us and, and with our listeners here. And like I said, it just uh, proof positive that nobody is immune to this type of stuff. And and it's uh, a great story in general, especially considering how far you have come. And and uh, I just. Uh, I can say more than anything. Appreciate you taking the time to share it with us. Well, it's it's uh, thirty years later. It's a little bit easier to uh, to laugh about it. So, um, uh, my pleasure, guys. And and let me add to it that two more win nights, and I'm going to the bracket finals because the winner of that race at that time, you you go to the bracket finals, which was my something I was dreaming about the whole year at, at 15 years old. Mm-hmm. So that just added a little a little bit more salt salt in the wound. Yeah, that, that sounded like that one hurt a little. Tell us a little bit about the redemption side of it. How many times did you win the bracket finals, or have you won the bracket finals? I, I have won the bracket finals once, and I won the race of champions once. 
but the the redemption side probably comes more. So here here I was a freshman in, in high school in my station wagon. I vowed that I would come back a few years later and and redeem myself. I mean, it was I thought about it every day for three years. I dreamt about it, and I really was putting my mind to coming back and 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 redeeming myself. I know I'm laughing about it now, but it really left a scar on on me at the moment, and it was it was something I. For me to get that scar off of me, I wanted to go and win that exact race at the same place with St. Francis Prep written on the window. I mean, it just, I, it was important to me to do that. And three, the redemption side more comes three years later. My friend lent it me his Grand National, and I ended up winning that, that exact race uh, with, you know, racing against the same, a lot of the same guys. So uh, that, was, uh, that was very cool. Yeah. That sounded like the ultimate redemption. I, yeah, I wasn't was, prepared was, for that uh, story. <laughs> I was really thinking. I was really thinking your your most embarrassing moment was going to be um, going over in the spring fling runoffs with uh, big nasty Kyle Sipo, but well, uh, I guess in, this one does overtake that a little. In, in thirty years, I might I might be okay with talking about that, but I really don't want to talk about that. Right now. <laughs> Very good. Thank you, Pete. Pete can't thank yeah. you enough. No, no problem, guys. Take care. Have a great one. All right, our next guest is uh, one of the, the listeners and somebody that sent in his story on our Facebook page, as we asked our listeners to do. And it's a it's a heck of a story. And uh, Luke and I both agreed that this was the one we uh, we wanted to have our listeners get to hear from the man himself. So joining us now is Jared Bargo. Jared, what's happening? Uh, not much. Just uh, sitting here at the house enjoying the weather tonight. <laughs> Jared, man, like, like Jed said, I, I know personally when I read your story, I literally laughed out loud, which is not common for me um, reading something off of Facebook. But with that said, you've got a pretty tough act to follow. We we just got off the line, and we didn't preface this with you at all, but we just got off the line with Peter Biondo, who told a pretty embarrassing story of his own. But I think, in a lot of ways, yours kind of takes the cake. So, what okay, do you, what do you that's think, good. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, <laughs> with with all the, the latest technology involved in this story. So, <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> so, Jared, let us get out of your way and uh, just go ahead and take us through the story. Well, it'd be tough following, uh, following Peter because I don't have that northern accent. I got a little <laughs> bit of a southern accent. but we can't uh, tell the difference at all. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, see here. I show up at the racetrack. It was uh, for uh, Chris Butcher's uh, Kentucky Foot Brake Nationals. And uh, I'm a foot brake guy. I drive a uh, street car. So I am uh, I fall right into that category. And it, I think it rained us out on Thursday. So I didn't show up until Friday. And um, when I wrote the story out on the internet, I got my days mixed up. Friday, I went in a few rounds with both entries, but didn't really do no good. And we lose him. Yeah, he, they keep trying to call me, and it cuts me off. Okay, so going into Saturday, <laughs> I, you know, I'm feeling good. And, uh, you know, it, late in the rounds, I roll up in there. There's nine cars left, and I'm two of them. So I'm like, all right, you know what I mean? So oh, I lose one me. entry at nine. I win at five, and I turn it red to Nick Hastings at three. And then they had a gambler's race, and they combined two of them because it rained it out Thursday. 
Well, I decided to set the gambler's race out. I'm like, you know, you had a good night. You want a little change? Let's just sit out and watch. So uh, I go down to the finish line, and I'm standing there on the fence watching the racing, and uh, Bruno's there, which is Ronnie Dozier. Phil Combs is oldest boy, Bub. He's standing there. And we're just, you know, shooting the breeze, having a good time. And uh, here comes my buddy, Tony Brock. And he drives a black Mustang for a guy named Freddie Burns, which lives in Clay County. You know, I'm a true buddy. When my buddy rolls up to the starting line, I'm cheering him on. I want to see him win more than me most of the time, you know. So I'm standing there like, come on, Brock, let's get it done. And a lot of times when we talk on the phone, he referenced me as hero, and I referenced him as champ. So I'm like, come on, champ, let's get it. You know, so, well, he's chasing. So the first car leaves. He's clean and green. The second car was Tony. He turns the cherry on. So I'm like, oh, man, you know. And uh, here he comes down through air. He don't lift wide open. And as soon as he gets through the finish line, hit hard right straight into the wall. I mean, where it's a guardrail, straight into the guardrail. And, you know, and I got cat-like reflexes, so I'm gone. I mean, I'm instantly, I got a diet mount do in my hand. I drop it, and I'm running as hard as I can down the fence row. And, uh, and I do smoke, so I'm not in the best of shape. And, but I'm, I'm getting it. I'm, I'm in high gear just going down through there. And there comes a point where I got to make a decision. The fence has ended. And if you've ever been to I-64, there's a first turnoff. Well, you know, it would have been too easy for me to take that first turn off and run on the racetrack. I decide to keep going on down the fence. Well, then it turns into the guardrail. And you know, how high is a guardrail? You know, two and a half foot at most, mm-hmm. you know. But I've already ran probably an eighth mile. So, you know, 660 foot later, I'm pretty winded. So, you know, here, here goes my Olympic act to hurdle the guardrail. Well, the first foot makes it over pretty good. Second foot, not so hot. So it catches the top of the guardrail, and I face plant smack right down on the ground. I'm protecting my yeah, right on the racetrack. You know, I protect my pretty face, but I get both hands and knee, and I'm splattered out. You know, so I lift myself back up, and and I don't know. I decided I'm going to take off running again because I ain't to the car yet. Well, my legs didn't comprehend that decision i was trying to make and if i didn't fall again right on my face again and the second time i banged my knee up so i get up so now i'm winded i'm hurt and i'm hobbling down through there and i still managed to make it to the race car before the ambulance gets there and tony brock he he's out by this point and he's he's all mad you know he just wrecked a guy's car and i'm like you okay Champ, he's like, yeah, I'm fine, man. I got to find my glasses. It knocked his glasses off. So we dig around there. We get his glasses by this time. You know, I, we're buddies. I give him a hug. I'm telling him, man, I'm glad you're okay, dude. The car will be fine. You know, we can fix the car. And he's like, I don't know what happened. I was like, I don't either. We're just glad he wasn't in the left lane because if he was in the left lane, he would have pile drive the other car, you know, right in the side. So he got lucky. And he's like, what's wrong with you? My hand, I mean, I had blood dripping down my fingertips. I was like, man, I failed. He goes, what do you mean you fell? I said, I tried to jump that guardrail, and I fell. So he kind of giggles a little bit, and you know, and they get the car and stuff cleaned up. And later that night, I went over to him, and he's, that's what he said. Uh, it's pretty bad when the ambulance has to ask you if you're okay before they get to me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, everything's funny. So the next day, you know, at the racetrack, everything's real dirty. So I was afraid my hand was going to get infected. 
Well, let me back up. I do got to give a shout out to Amy Combs because once I get back to the finish line, they was parked there. She'd seen what my hands looked like and she doctored me up. She uh, got their little first aid kit out and cleaned me up and gave me some band-aids. Well, the next day I took the band-aid off, take a shower and I didn't have nothing with me. So I go up to the uh, ambulance and uh, I said, hey, you know, I hurt my hand. My hands are, can you just give me some band-aids? Because, you know, the racetrack, everything you touch is dirty. You know, checking your tires, your hands get black. So he gave me some gauze and some of that wrapping stuff. So, and I'm like, and some tape. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to keep this on the palm of my hands? So I put the gauze down, then I wrap my hands like you would, like if you was a boxer. So here I am walking through the staging lanes, both hands wrapped up, and I look like I'm ready for war. You know, and everybody's looking at me, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know. So I go over, and there's a group of my buddies sitting there talking. They're like, what are you doing, Ali? So, and I'm like, well, <laughs> to be honest, I'm ready to win today. You know, I'm ready to I'm ready to fight, you know. And then I told them the story, and everybody got a good laugh at it. And uh, I did go back and look at it on Motor Mania, and you can, you can definitely see me jumping the guardrail and doing the face plant right there in the middle of the racetrack. So <laughs> that's the that's best about, part of your story. It was all live on motor. It was all live. Thousands yeah. of people. <laughs> thousands of people. You know, I don't know if they noticed the big blob falling down or not, but it was me, <laughs> the one and only, right in the middle yeah. of the racetrack. So and Jared, for those that don't know, the Kentucky Footbreak Nationals is held in northern Kentucky in November. So in it, November. It was, it was a yeah. probably a pretty chilly night. Yep, it As was. I had to guess, which was makes it even a little more difficult. Even more difficult. The man is <laughs> jumping the, the guardrail, which is two foot high. I mean, I could have stopped and stepped over it, but, you know, I was I was practicing for the upcoming Summer Olympics, and uh, it didn't go too good for me. So, well, That's a heck of a story, man. That's, uh, it really is. And, you know, no offense, uh, but I, I really would have wished I could have seen that live. <laughs> <laughs> While Amy was well, Still you up, there, I would have been giving you a pretty hard time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she done a good job, and I got to thank her for it. You know, they, uh, them Combses, they're good people, so they helped me out that night anyways. Yeah, they're good folks. Well, man, we appreciate you turning that in on Facebook, number one, and then sharing it with us here on the podcast. That yeah, was a lot of fun. If our listeners can't well, have I a think, good time with that, they cannot have a good time, dude. <laughs> I guarantee that. And just so for the record, there was no adult beverages involved. So, I mean, I was stone cold sober when all this happened. That was straight diet so. Mountain Dew when you hit that one. <laughs> that was straight diet Mountain Dew. Exactly right. Makes it even so. better. Well, I appreciate you, gentlemen, having me on. I'm, uh, I listen to your podcast every week, and I'm excited uh, to listen to tomorrow's. And uh, I really, uh, really thank you guys. Very Likewise, good, Jared. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on with us. That was great. Now, anytime. All right, man. Have a great one. You too. See you guys. Thanks, Jared. This podcast has been presented in part by Racing RVs. At this point, you should know about Racing RVs and what they're about. They support sportsman drag racing at an unprecedented level, and they've helped hundreds of racers just like you. When the time comes to consider an upgrade to your racing program, new or used, trade-in or direct purchase, truck, motor home, or trailer, give Joe Fisher at Racing RVs a call at 419-236-1328. 
Well, that wraps up episode nine. I want to say thanks to our sponsors. These are the folks that bring our podcast to you every week. Racing RVs, This Is Bracket Racing, and Racer Swag. Absolutely, and thank you to our guests, Peter Biondo and Jared Barco, for their willingness to come on and share <laughs> maybe their most humiliating moments and, uh, and allow us to all get a laugh at their expense. I don't know what you listeners think. Like, from my seat, this has been the most entertaining of the, what, 10 now <laughs> podcasts that we've done, and it's not even close. So, uh, big, huge thank you to each of those guys and, and to you as well, Big Jed. Also, my pleasure. <laughs> thank you. And to Bobby Joe, of course. Yes. Uh, also, thank you to PJ North for providing the tunes, doing our intro. You guys can find PJ's work on iTunes. Yeah, you know, we plan to release a new podcast every week of the calendar year, guys. So stay tuned for plenty more going forward. And to get the latest episode before your friends, be sure to subscribe to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play. Yeah, and if you like what you hear, be sure to rate and review the podcast. That's how we move up in the rankings so more people can find us. If you don't like what you hear, let us know. Tell us how we can deliver a better show. And finally, be sure to join the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast fan page on Facebook to interact and become part of the conversation this week. Thank you all for listening. We will touch base again next week. Thanks, guys. This a way of life. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning it. Breaking in anything, bottom ball before a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jared Pennington. I was in my truck just to try my luck. Spending money that I don't have, still can't get enough. We working out of Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.